subject of spiritual warfare. Now, let me kind of set this up by saying there's some things in this world that I don't understand. There's some things in this world that may, you don't understand. There's, some, there's, some, there's just stuff out there in the world that I don't understand. And one of the things I don't understand are people that, that go to scary movies on purpose. Like people that love scary movies. Carly, you love scary movies. I don't get that. I don't, I don't get that at all because I... Scary movies freaked me out. I remember the very first scary movie 
that I was ever aware of that a group of people invited me to was this movie right here, The Exorcist. And I had a bunch of friends going, hey, we should go see The Exorcist. Now, here's, here's why you shouldn't see this movie. If you notice, her head is backwards. Like, it's, it, like, it's, like her head should not even be like that. So any movie that has that in it, I'm out. And so I told them, you go see The Exorcist. I need to go see a comedy. Um, but this movie, I think it came out in 1973, and she was throwing like Catholic priests all over the place. I mean, it was crazy. No desire in my heart to see this movie at all. Um, several years back, the movie The Paranormal, Paranormal Activity came out. Now, did anybody in this room see this movie? Yeah, y'all saw it. See, no interest at all. No interest. Hey, we should go see this movie. No, you should go eat rocks. I don't, I don't want to see this movie at all because why? I don't want any paranoia. I have enough stuff going on up here, but without this, okay? And then recent, this has been a little bit more recently, but this movie came out. It, this is the top grossing horror film of all time. Now, this freaked me out because I was just flipping the channels one night and the preview for this movie came on. And I didn't sleep for three nights because it freaked me out. I, I love comedies. I love romantic comedies. I love action. I love adventure. I love sci-fi. I don't like stuff like this, but our world does. You let a movie come out like it. You let a book come out on spiritual activity, angels, demons, the supernatural, and the world gobbles it up. But the church, for some reason, strangely, stays away from the subject. Because, and this is what I believe, I believe because of two equal but horrible positions on the subject of spiritual warfare that the church has. There's a guy named C.S. Lewis. Um, he's a very popular um, thinker, Christian philosopher. You might be aware of him um, through the books he wrote, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Love the books, love the movie, love the whole thing. C.S. Lewis said this about um, spiritual warfare. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils and demons and all that stuff. One is to disbelief in their existence. And by the way, I read a survey that said around 50% of evangelical Christians doubt the existence of the devil and demons. That's, that's evangelicals, okay? So he said one problem is some people say they don't exist. Then he says this, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in, the, in them. In other words, some people are way too obsessed with the spiritual and they blame everything on the devil. Like I was talking to a guy one time, he was like, went out to crank my car and the car didn't crank and it was the devil. And I was like, no, bro, you hadn't changed your oil in five years. That's the reason it has nothing to do with the devil, has everything to do with your stupid. Um, and and so, so some people are, you know, this doesn't really happen. And some people are like too obsessed with it. So what we're going to do for the next at least five weeks, maybe six, possibly seven, is I want to dive into this subject of spiritual warfare. And I believe, I believe it's going to be a very balanced approach. I believe it's going to be a very biblically based approach. Um, will you get scared during this series? Probably. Um, maybe. I don't know. Um, but this series is not intended to scare anybody. It's intended to inform us so we can actually walk daily in victory rather than feeling 
beaten down all the time. Now, I'm going to do something that I've never done with any series ever. We're going to do today what I call a flyby. We're going to look at the entire passage of Scripture. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Mark 4. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 4. We're going to do a flyby of the entire passage of Scripture today. And then we're going to come back over the next several weeks, and we're just going to take section by section by section. Now, typically this isn't a spiritual warfare passage of Scripture, but I see, bless you, I see so much going on in this passage that I kind of want to bring it out. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got it on your phone or whatever, Mark chapter 4, we're going to start looking at it um, right now. Here we go. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he, he meaning Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, I want to pause real quick because we're going to talk about this big time next week, but I want to bring this up. When Jesus says, let's go over to the other side, when we read that, we typically just kind of skim past it. But going to the other side was, um, well, it was pretty bold because where Jesus was was in Capernaum, and the other side was where the Gentiles lived. And Jews did not associate with Gentiles. I mean, the racial tension in that time period was extreme. So when Jesus is saying, let's go over to the other side, he's telling the disciples, guys, I'm taking you out of your comfort zone. I'm taking you out of your comfort zone. And some people, when we face resistance, it doesn't mean that we're going against God's will. Sometimes the, the, the reason we're facing resistance from the enemy is because God's calling us out of our comfort zone and the enemy wants us to stay there, right? And so, we'll talk more about that next week, but I just want to kind of bring that out because it's in the passage. Um, leaving the crowd behind, which, by, you know, and that was a tough thing to do because they were loving the attention. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. have no idea why Mark stuck that in, but he just felt led to let us know that there's other boats with them. Now watch this. A furious squall, that means a storm, came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now here's a question. Here's a question. I'm just going to pose it. I'm not going to answer it today, by the way. I'm not going to answer it. Who sent the storm? Did God send the storm? Or does Satan actually have the authority at times to control weather? Hmm. We'll answer that next week. I'm not going to answer it this week. Don't even ask. Don't even ask. I'm not even going on Facebook later on today and answering it. I'm just posing the question, does Satan at times have the authority? I'm just bringing it up because it's in, it's in the text right there. Somebody sent the storm. Okay, Jim Cantore off the Weather Channel didn't send it. Now, he would have been there to cover it, but he didn't send it, okay? Jesus, now watch this, verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Huge. This is enormous, okay? I'm just going to tell you, in three or four weeks, you're going to need to remember that cushion. That cushion right there, that, that right there, that is very important. We're going to come back to the cushion. I'm telling you right now, write it down um, because we're coming back to the cushion. Everybody remember that? We're coming back to what? Everybody say it. Cushion. Beautiful. All right. So Jesus was in the stern. And what was Jesus doing in the stern? Sleeping. Now, sometimes we over-spiritualize the Bible. I've heard people preach on this text. 
And they're like, Jesus was sleeping because he knew that God was in control of the storm. That, that sounds awesome, except it's not true. Here's why Jesus was sleeping. He was tired. He was fully God and fully man. And if you read Mark chapter 4, what he had been doing all day, he was tired. That's what you do when you get tired, you sleep, okay? So Jesus sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him. Do you know anybody that can just sleep through a storm? Because I can. I can totally sleep through a thunderstorm. People are like, did you know the thunderstorm came through last night? I was like, sleeping like a baby. Well, that's a bad, that's a bad analogy. Because now when people say, I slept like a baby, I'm like, so you crapped yourself all night and cried? So anyway, I slept great. That, let's just say that. The disciples woke him and said to him, watch this, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now I want to pause real quick. Have you ever asked God that question? Don't you care? Don't you care that my life is falling apart? Don't you care that I'm dealing with stress and anxiety? Don't you care that my kids are going crazy? Don't you care that I'm going crazy? Don't you care that my relationships are falling apart? And when we ask God that question, a lot of times people look down on us. But don't miss this. The people that were closest to Jesus even ask him the question, don't you care? It doesn't mean you're ungodly. It means you're a human being. They wondered, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? It gets better. He got up. I can just, can you imagine him kind of stretching? Jesus doing that stretch thing. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. That is amazing. Some of, some of us, we can't even do that with our kids. Quiet, be still. And they keep running, and things are going crazy. But Jesus gets up and rebukes the weather. And the weather does what Jesus tells it to do. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, I want to pause. I want to pause real quick and say this. I've heard people say that right here he's rebuking his disciples. I don't think he's rebuking his disciples. I imagine Jesus saying this question with a smile on his face. Why are you so afraid? Don't you have any faith? I mean, it's a, legitimate, it's a legitimate question. So Jesus is simply asking them a question. And in verse 41, they were terrified. This freaked them out, as it would have me, as it would have you. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's a good question. There are things that are going to happen in our lives where all hell breaks loose, but at the end of it, we're going to be able to see Jesus more clearly than we saw him before. Sometimes it takes a storm for us to see Jesus more clearly. And spiritual warfare is all involved in that text. Some of you are like, maybe are like, I don't see it. We're going to, like I said, we're going to begin to unpack it next week. Today is a flyby. Now we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake, which is the Sea of Galilee. I was there last week. It was beautiful. To the region of um, Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and set it up. This would be an incredible...
incredible opening scene of a scary movie. Jesus, and we know from the Gospel of Luke, Mark doesn't tell us this, but Luke telling us the same story tells us that this guy has on no clothes. So you got a naked streaker in the Bible, this demon-possessed, coming to meet Jesus. We didn't, if you grew up in Sunday school, this was not flannel graft at all. This is, this is freaking crazy, all right? All right? It get, and it gets more intense. This man lived in the tombs. Now, I've lived in some trailer parks. I've lived in some rough houses. I ain't never lived in no graveyard. I don't even like going to graveyards. They freak me out. But this man, naked man, possessed by a demon, demons as we're going to see in a little while, lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. Which, by the way, the religious system of this day, if you were demon-possessed, one of the ways they would try to cast demons out of you is they would come, they would chain you, they would throw water on you, and they would try to some incantations to try to get the demons to come out of you. Which, just real quick, religious activity never works when it comes to spiritual warfare. That's the reason a lot of people get their butt kicked is because they're so dependent on religious activity. It all comes down to a relationship with Jesus, not religious activity. So people had tried... So let's take the demon-possessed man that's naked, put chains on him, throw water on him, all in the name of God. So that's what they're trying to do, and it's not working because he keeps breaking the chains, all right? Um, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him, so they just left this guy alone. This is the crazy naked, demon-possessed guy running around in the graveyard, and we're just going to have nothing to do with him. All right? So let's keep, let's keep going. This is great. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself. I want to pause real quick because cutting and self-mutilation is a lot of people are saying, this is a new phenomenon. We've never seen this. There's more and more people doing it. It was happening 2,000 years ago. It's right here in the scripture. And it, and it happens in this case because of demonic possession. I don't believe everybody that cuts themselves is possessed by a demon, but I do believe it has a spiritual element to it. I really do. Because one of the things that spiritual warfare, one of the things the enemy wants us to do is to get into a pattern where we harm ourselves. And if we're not harming ourselves physically, we will harm ourselves emotionally by negative self-talk that keeps us in a depressed, anxious, worried, freaked out state. I can't wait till we talk about this right here. Because spiritual warfare, even if you are in Christ, spiritual warfare, the goal of the enemy is to get us to hurt ourselves. And one of the main avenues he uses is our thought life. This week right here, if you get freaked out, this is the week you're going to get the most freaked out because, you're, because we're all going to get our mail read on this week. All right? But we'll just save that. Let's keep going. Some of y'all hate this and some of y'all love it. I understand. But this is just what I felt like the Lord... Just a flyby. Here we go. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. So I want to, just real big, real big distinction. This was not a fight. Everybody imagines, 
Jesus and Satan in a boxing match. And that's because a guy named Carmen did a really bad song in the late 80s. Um, and if you don't know anything about that, you are so blessed. I can, it's stuck in my head. I can recite the whole thing for you. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, please don't Google it because it'll just mess up the rest of your day. But this is not a boxing match. Okay, notice when the demon sees Jesus, he doesn't say, let's fight. He falls to his knees. And then he says this. He, he shouted at the, top of his long, uh, at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Most High God. In God's name, don't torture me. I was, um, I was in a Bible class once. And the Bible teacher said, I wish... I could get everyone in the world to buy into demon theology. Yeah, freaked me out a little bit. It was like, I think I'm in the wrong class. I started looking around. Everybody's kind of a little nervous. And he, he paused and he smiled because he knew what he's doing. He's a smart man. He said, the reason I wish people would buy into demon theology is anytime a demon saw Jesus in Scripture... He always got it right. He always said, you're the son of God. You read, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A demon never looks at Jesus and says, you're just a good teacher. You're a good moral person. They always freaked out and called him who he was. You're the son of the most high God. And look what the demon says. Don't torture me. Don't, I mean, don't torture me. This is... Legit. This is the demon who scares everybody now being scared by the presence of Jesus. Okay? We'll unpack that more in a few weeks. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So Jesus had already commanded the demon to come out of the man. Now watch this. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Now, once again, this is the part of the message I can't wait to get to. Because I've always seen this right here as Jesus asking the demon what his name was. But I don't believe that. I believe Jesus was asking the man, what's your name? And that's an easy question. You can always get that right, right? Like, what's your name? Jeremy. Jeremy got it right. What's your name? Got it right. What's your name? But, but got it right. Like, we just get it right. Nobody's ever went, uh. Like, we, we get it right. But watch what this man does. This man has been so oppressed for so long, and this is, I wish I could go into this right now, but we're going to have to wait, that he didn't identify with his name. He identified with what was oppressing him. So watch what he says. My name is Legion. He didn't say my name is Frank, my name is Bob, my, thing, my name is Bartholomew. He said my name. He identified with his dysfunction. And one of the ways that Satan is kicking some major rear end today is he has too many people in the body of Christ who will not identify themselves as a child of God, but we identify with our dysfunction. And as long as we identify with our dysfunction, we will always walk in defeat. So he just calls us, he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. So there's not just like one demon in there. There's thousands. I looked, I, I Googled this. Don't you just love Google? It's my best and worst friend at times. 
but they can't really agree on what a legion is, but it's somewhere between 2,000 and 6,000. I'm just saying, let's just guess bottom end. If a guy's got 2,000 demons in him, I don't want a part of that guy, okay? I mean, this is, this is crazy. He said, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Once again, who's in control in this scenario? Who's, who's in authority? Who reigns in this scenario? Jesus. It's not even a fight. But watch this. Watch this. Another interesting question. We'll come back to it. They begged Jesus not to send them out of the area. Did demons have territories assigned to them? Are there demons that are assigned to certain territories? Huh. You're going to have to wait like four or five weeks for the answer to that question. Once again, just a flyby. A large herd of pigs, which makes me think of barbecue. A large, everything makes me think of food. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. Okay? And then this thing happens. He gave them, he gave them permission. Once again, this is all about God's authority. They could not do a thing without his permission. So he gave them permission. And I'm just imagining this scene in my mind, and it's, it's funny and sad at the same time. The impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000, so imagine 2,000 pigs just start squealing like crazy, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and were drowned. Now, that's sad. But, but can you imagine 2,000 pigs freaking out? But don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the enemy's goal is to steal and kill and destroy. And so they went from trying to destroy this man, they'll destroy pig, they'll, they'll destroy anything. Okay? Now, if you're just looking at this scene from an external point of view, you're like, this is a great day. This is a great day for Jesus. This is a great day for the apostles. This is a great day for the naked streaker man living in the tombs. You know who it's not a good day for? The pig farmer. Now, this, this day sucked for him, all right? Because I've read estimates that he lost somewhere between a half a million and a million dollars on this deal. So that's, that'll come into play later. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this because they didn't have Instagram, so they couldn't put on stories. So they ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. So the, you got a crowd gathering, right? When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons. Mark wants us to know there were a lot of them in there. Sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Which, I want to put just on record, I would have been as well. I would have been freaked out. If I'd always known this man as the naked guy running around in the tombs that was screaming all the time, and now he's sitting there dressed in his right mind, can we just admit that this is a little awkward? But when Jesus changes people, Jesus changes people. And Jesus had changed this man. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Now look at the response, because this is weird. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Why? This is, Jesus stepped into an area 
where people weren't willing to step. He encountered a man that nobody was willing to encounter. He set him free. People come and see it, and all of a sudden, they ask Jesus to leave. Why did they ask Jesus to leave? We'll cover it in week five. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, which I can understand. Here comes a guy, sets me free from about 2,000 demons. That's my guy. I want to hang out with him. I'm following him, right? Jesus did not let him. Can you imagine the guy getting in the boat? Jesus going, no, 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 no. We ain't got any room. This is it. We got, we got these guys. We got no room for you. But he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus said, don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. I love this. I love this. I love this. This guy went from a naked, demon-possessed guy that lived in the graveyard to an evangelist just like that. He didn't have to go to seminary. He didn't have to go to Bible class. He didn't have... But Jesus commissioned a guy that had just had at least 2,000 demons cast out of him to go and preach the gospel. Is that not amazing? This, it blows my mind. And Jesus said, just go tell your story. Because we've all got a story, right? Jesus said, just go tell your story. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis, that's 10 cities, that's an area of 10 cities. And by the way, the last week I talk about this, that's going to come into play. It's going to be, it's a, it's a big deal. It really is a big deal. There's a reason Mark mentions this. He began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Now, that was the flyby. I want to make three quick points. Three quick points. Number one, we live in a world at war. And I'm not just talking about like um, wars that we see on TV or conflicts with North Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq. I'm talking about war, spiritual war. Now, I don't know about you, but the very first war, physical war that I remember was the Persian Gulf War, the 19, um, 1990 Persian Gulf War. I was in college and uh, I remember when the Persian Gulf War started. I was born during the Vietnam War, but I don't, I don't remember that. Um, and I remember the, watching the, basically it was the first war we ever got to watch on television. We got to watch the bombing raids and everything. It was, it was kind of crazy. But you know, I was thinking about warfare a hundred years ago looks a lot different than it does today. And warfare a hundred years from now will look a lot different. And I think one of the things that I'm really excited about diving into this series is we read some of the scriptures and we see the way warfare was done in the scriptures. But I believe with all my heart that Satan has modified the way that he does warfare. And today, in today's world, we're seeing it happen a lot differently. There are more people, in, at least in the United States today, struggling with depression and anxiety than ever before. This week, we've suicide has came to the forefront and has dominated the news cycle. And I believe it's all impacted by this spiritual war, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. We really do live in a world at war. Which leads to number two, we can live by faith rather than being dominated by fear and uncertainty. It, we can. And, and the reason I say this 
is because fear is my go-to emotion. If you want to freak me out, and I know there's some people in this room that are like this. I'm not going to mention their name, Carly. But if you want to freak me out, this is how you do it. You call me on the phone and you say, hey, man, I've got something really important to talk to you about, but I can't talk to you about it until tomorrow. Bye. Click. I'll come to your house. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to show up at your house and be like, no, because I can't sleep, right? Because I'm like, oh, dear God, I've done something. They found out that I ran that red light. I don't know what's like, like I live by fear. If I'm in my house at night, if I'm in my house and I'm laying in my bed and I hear something, it's somebody trying to kill me automatically. It's not the boards creak. I live by fear. And I think a lot of times when it comes to spiritual warfare, fear is our go-to emotion. But hopefully during the process of this series, because once again, once again, I just want to point out, all through the text that we just covered, who was clearly in control from the beginning to the end? I'm talking from the storm to the demon-possessed man. There is no doubt that Jesus is in complete control. And some people are like, well, if Jesus is in control, then why does my life feel so out of control? We're going to answer that question in this series. Number three. Those who are in Christ are equipped to win. If you're a Christian, listen, listen. I did not say those who are in Christ are, are winning because there are those of us in Christ who at times have gotten our tail kicked. Maybe you're in the process of getting your tail kicked. Struggling with, like I mentioned earlier, depression, anxiety, even suicidal thoughts. And if that's you, I'm not here to criticize you. I'm just telling you that if you are in Christ, and this is what I'm hoping we're going to be able to do in this series, pull out the parts where we begin to realize that Jesus actually has called us and equipped us to live in victory. We are completely equipped to win, but that's those who are in Christ. I've heard people say, well, if you're a Christian, you'll never worry. It's not true because we see the apostles worry. If you're a Christian, you'll never doubt. That's not true because the apostles doubted the resurrection. If you're a Christian, you won't struggle with anxiety. That's not true because the apostle Paul wrote that at one time in his ministry, he was actually overwhelmed. We're all going to go through those seasons. It's how we go through them that's going to make the difference. And in this series, that's what we're going to cover. Because at the end of the day, I've read the end of the book, and I know who ultimately wins. So with that in mind, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story in the Scriptures. And for the fact, Jesus, that you have clearly said that we win. Father, I pray for the person out there right now, that may be struggling with anxiety, depression, even suicidal thoughts, fear, worry. Jesus, that you would speak to their hearts and remind them that even when things are out of control, you really are in control. I pray for the person out there that's, that's screaming what the disciples screamed in the boat. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? Jesus, I pray that you would speak to hearts right now and let them know that you do and that you're closer than we know. 
And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're out there and you've never prayed to receive Christ, I want to invite you right now to ask Jesus into your life. Because without Jesus, we have no hope of victory. We have no hope of victory. But in Christ, listen, if He can empty a tomb, He can do the impossible in our lives as well. So if you're here and you need to pray to receive Christ today, I want to invite you right now, right where you're sitting, no matter if you're at, in, in Tennessee, at Life, at Life Spring, or if you're in this room, or if you're watching on the internet, I want to invite you to pray and just say, Jesus Christ, right now in my life, I surrender everything to you. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins and rose from the grave. Take over. Show me how to live for you the rest of my life the best I know how. In Jesus' name. And if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you're watching on, on the Second Chance website, if you'll hit the hand raise emoji, we'd love to know that you prayed to receive Christ today. If you're watching on Facebook, you can indicate with a hand raise emoji. Um, we would love to know that you prayed to receive Christ today and celebrate with you. And if anything today that was said, if we can pray for you as a church, if you'll Facebook message us or you'll just email me at hello at perrynoble.com. That's hello at perrynoble.com. We would love to pray for you this week um, and just walk with you in this journey. Father, thank you so much that we win. May we be able to walk in victory this week. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, listen, um, before we sign off today, we do have some pretty exciting news. We, um, many of you know that we, had a, we have a contract on a building. Um, we're not buying the building, we're leasing the building. It's for a two-year lease. And um, it's, it, the building's kind of in, in rough shape, so we gotta kind of step in. We gotta do some upfitting. There's some carpet, some light. We gotta prepare a kid's area with a clean, safe, fun environment. And it's gonna cost us around See, the cop, I heard cop, I'm, I think they're coming for me, but I don't know why, because I live in fear. So, so the, the upfit is going to co cost us around $250,000. Now, in the past, I've done really creative campaigns. We've named it. We've done graphic arts. We've done signs. We've preached messages. I'm not doing that. This is the name of our campaign. We need $250,000 in three months. That's it. That, that's 200. So if you want to help us, and by the way, um, if, with that amount of money, we won't have to borrow any money because of the way that you generously give already. We've got some money set aside for this. And because of the way that people generously give, like I said already, we're going to be able to kind of, we, we're able to get the project started. We don't have to wait. But if you want to give specifically to the building fund, if you go on Second Chances website and you give, you can give to the general fund or there's another fund that you can click on and it's just called 250K because that's how much we need, 250K. Um, or if you want to write a check, um, you can mail it. The, the address is on the Second Chance website and you can, um, in the little memo, just put 250K and that's going to go toward the upfit and it looks like we're going to be able to meet in the building either the third or the fourth week in September. The third or the fourth week in September is the targeted date that we've been told. And so, um, and I trust the builders. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. But once again, um, that's our campaign. We need $250,000 in three months. I think we can do it. 
I think we can do it. I know we can do it, right? All right? So you guys have a great week, and we'll see you next week as we do part two of our spiritual warfare series. Done? Done. Great. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Carly's bothered by all the questions that were asked that I didn't answer. All through the message. I didn't, but I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know.